This is the Game Designers of North Carolina podcast. Welcome to this episode of the Game Designers of North Carolina podcast, the least digital podcast in the business. My name is Mark McGee, and today we're going to be talking about PAX Unplugged. I've got two designers here who are unplugged and are analog creatures. Clarence. Say hello to everybody, Clarence. Hello, everybody. And Mitch. Hello. Hey, Mitch. So Mitch is on the podcast for the first time ever which means we get to have a segment called First Timer Palooza with Mitch. Here we go. Mitch, we're just going to ask you some stuff, and you're going to tell us some stuff. Just to help everybody get to know you a little bit, can you tell us how long have you been designing tabletop games? Tabletop games? I've been designing since about uh, 2018, so just just a blip all right did you design other stuff before tabletop games kind of on a lark about a year before about 2017 i started coming up with sports and sports ideas and that kind of is kind of what got my brain thinking about games but sports are hard to design if you don't have access to lots of people big fields and equipment and so then i kind of kept thinking different for a a bit i was thinking about lawn games and then i kind of got to board games yeah do you play a bunch uh, of sports and long games is that one of your jams? Is that one of my jams? I'll go with sure. Yeah, <laughs> I, very I grew up convincing. A variety of sports. It's it's weird as an adult to say you play sports only in a sense of like because you're never as active as you were when you were a kid. Is if you're uh-huh. a kid and you played sports, you that's like what you did. But uh, yeah, I grew up playing soccer and baseball uh, and a variety of other things. And as an adult, I'm, I'm a cyclist and I feel like there's another sport in there I forgot about. Oh, in college I ran cross country. A cyclist? You're a bicyclist? Oh, yeah. That that sort of cyclist? Yes, not a motorcyclist. Oh, do you cycle? Is it? Uh, do you cycle with like a group and go to races and stuff? Since I moved to North Carolina, I have not. I used to live in New Orleans, and there was a group of people that I would I would ride with in the mornings occasionally, but not 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 races, but just mostly going on like fifty or seventy five mile rides, things like that. Yeah, it seems like a decent yeah. bit. I've driven down. Mm-hmm. Any of you who are locals to North Carolina, I've driven down the American Tobacco Trail from Cary to Durham which is long and it took like five hours and that's about as far as i've ever cycled um, <laughs> i mean that, yeah that sounds about right i mean it can, it can take five hours i say that's pretty far i mean especially for me i was i borrowed a bicycle from somebody i don't have my own bicycle because i don't bicycle often but i borrowed it and the seat was it was like a, a racing bicycle and i'm not a racing cyclist and so it had one of those racing seats which are like tiny and hard. And I was like, ah, whatever, I'll just tough it out. But I'll tell you, because it was like four hours going there and I still had to come back. And I'll tell you, on the on the trip back, that tiny, hard bicycle seat was really taking its toll on my rear. Yeah, there's something about racing bicycles that don't work with my butt. Uh, they just <laughs> needs to fit you. They're, they're, they're designed for, you know, all different shapes and sizes. And if you get one that fits, then it doesn't bother you at all. But uh, about the same time as whenever I was designing sports, someone taught me bocce for the first time. I was like, this is amazing, which someone tried to teach me bocce in college. And I was like, no, I'm not going to do that. And then I was like, oh, man, I should have totally done that in college whenever that person offered me to learn bocce. So I was kind of learning about lawn sports. And just whenever I was picking up lawn sports, reading reading rules and things from Wikipedia, I eventually got over to board games. And I was like, oh, wow, look at this. And there's a few other things that kind of got me thinking about board games. Number files. I was watching uh, YouTube 
and Numberphile. I was doing a lot of things on game theory and uh, the YouTube algorithm started showing me board games. I was like, oh, this is interesting. And uh, I, was, I came across the game. I was like, oh, that's 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 what I want to play. And then I kind of got into it from there. Well, then as you were starting to get into board games, like, did you have any expectations of some of the stuff that you were thinking at the very beginning? Now that you've been doing it longer, was there anything that you expected up front that was exactly as you expected it to be the more you get into board games? Uh, yeah, I mean, the, the creative process is similar to other design dis- disciplines. I'm a art director by trade, background in graphic design and web design and things like that, uh, advertising. And anytime creatives are, are designing to, in those fields, they're typically designing to briefs. Um, this is the audience. This is what we're trying to say, what we're trying to achieve. And uh, a lot of game design is is that in my opinion so that that's been very similar and so you have your vision and then you just kind of iterate until you get to kind of the end product well what about the flip side of that question was there anything that was surprising that you were not expecting that you discovered as you get into designing games yeah i think it was the player types whenever i started getting into designing games i was approaching them from the way i play games and then as i was able to get my games tested by different people i was picking up on oh yeah this i think a lot of my earlier games were very tactical and then some players wanted things more strategic and you know there's lots of different ways to do strategy but a lot of it's planning and having foresight so trying to get more of those types of elements into the games. Do you have several people that you playtest stuff with outside of the G-Donk group? Yeah, I think before the pandemic, I probably had more, but I play with my in-laws and I play with some other other groups of people around town. So besides the GDVNC group, before the pandemic, I was playing with some prototypes of people about probably once a week, just different huh. social groups, things like that. I know that you mentioned player types because the G-Donkeys have a bunch of different types of yeah people who like different sorts of games. But I would say that they basically all fall into the category of like core board game hobbyists, but a a pretty broad spectrum within that realm. But playtesting with people who are not even part of the normal playtest group, like, yeah, when I playtest with family or friends, yeah, that's a even broader range of player types. Yeah, I want to make sure it's clear. I've kind of played games throughout my life, just didn't really think about board games per se, you know, uh, video games and uh, standard 52 card games growing up, stuff like that, but becoming more introduce the idea of like wow there's so many more board games out there and uh there's something to something to learn that sounds yeah that kind of echoes what i have done too because yeah even even though you played games or for me at least having played games a lot throughout life it was always like a narrow spectrum but then once you kind of once i started designing games and jumping deeper into the hobby you see how much more there is that i may have never found just from what i was exposed to as i was playing growing up yeah exactly all righty then well thank you mitch for this first timer palooza it's <laughs> it's one to remember all righty well let's move on to our tell me something good segment where we share things that are worth sharing tell me something good clarence you haven't spoken for a while you got any have good not. news to share yeah i mean i've been working on some some new prototypes i've got a couple ones called jazz simulator one's called letters from the other side i'm gonna talk about those later though because i brought those to the unpub room at pax unplugged and i'm gonna have a little talk about the unpub room so i'll save that for later i've also got co-design with raven mckenzie that i've been working on called horns of harlem that's 
like a game about managing a jazz band during the Harlem Renaissance. So that one's pretty exciting, pretty early, but looking forward to seeing where that one goes. I've got two signed but unannounced projects that development is starting to ramp up on. So can't say much about those yet, but hopefully soon-ish. And then the biggest thing for me is that Merchants of Magic is finally out now. Pre-orders mm-hmm. have been delivered. It was on sale at PAX. It's available for order direct from uh, Rock Manor Games, the publisher, and will hopefully soon show up on some store shelves. It's still making its way through the last of the distribution pipeline. Maybe a few more weeks out is the last thing I heard. And sort of tying into that, I also wrote a design diary about the whole process going from vague idea all the way to uh, kind of finished product that's uh, up on Board Game Geek. if anybody's interested in kind of reading about a deep dive into the, the whole process. So I read that designer diary on Board Game Geek. Another thing I do when a game comes out for my group is I subscribe to the games forums on Board Game Geek just to kind of get a gist of what's the early buzz on stuff. I also, because the the designer diary was uh, was good, I subscribed to that one too just to see what some of the hosts were. And it sounds like everybody has favorable things to say. I don't think I've heard anyone replying to your uh, designer diary or just on the forum the Reds in general with anything other than positive stuff. So that's pretty good. That doesn't always happen. Yeah, it's all been pretty good so far for the most part. Definitely. Mitch, you got anything? What's up? So... Obviously, this episode is about packs, and I, I don't know how much I should share considering what's going to come up later. But I guess the good stuff is packs was fun, and then the second part of that is post packs. A publisher requested two prototypes for review. So the week after uh, packs, I was making new prototypes to mail out. So nice. that is the the new goodness on my end. That's cool. A lot of the pack stuff will definitely go into more detail about that. So we will touch on that a little bit later. A lot of my my news is also related to PAX, but one thing that's not related to PAX is I just recently, one of my games, Galaxy Alpha Team, got third place in the Alley Cat Games, was running a cooperative games contest, and I got third place in that like a couple weeks ago. So that's pretty cool. Well, I'm a third place award winner. I don't know. Does that count as award winning if I get... Bronze, I'm, yeah. All right. Third place. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know the rules for saying that you're an award winner. I Well, I know some of the easy ones are like, if you are the grand champion, that definitely counts as a win. But yeah, third places also counts for something. It was cool. I got to meet a lot of other designers who were doing the contest and play some other games just kind of go through the process of participating in the contest and getting some of the feedback that was cool too so that was a good thing and i'm pretty pumped about it all righty now the reason that we're all here today because we all attended pax unplugged and uh, we were not the only members from the game designers of North Carolina there, but we were the members that that I got a hold of for this episode. So this is what counts. So yeah, Mitch, you were there for the first time ever, right? This is your first ever PAX Unplugged. Yep, first PAX ever. So Clarence, you've been to one before, though, right? You said it was yeah, your I went second to, one at, at 2019. 2019 was actually my first major national gaming con at all. So this is only my my second. I have been to PAX Unplugged every year that they've had PAX Unplugged. Unplugged. So between the three of us, we have various levels of experience specifically with the PAX Unplugged show. So we'll be able to approach it from at least some of those angles. But yeah, Mitch, as your first time, I'm curious to know what uh, leading up to it, 
kind of where was your mind at and what were you thinking it would be like? I am not really sure what I, I thought it was going to be like because from being around y'all, it seemed like this is a event to get in front of publishers and to get games play tested. But beyond that, I really didn't know what to expect because those were a lot of the stories that I had heard previously. I'm trying to think if, if there's anything else, but I mean, everyone talks about like you reach out to publishers by a certain dates, get your games ready for the unpub room and try and get uh, in front of some certain publishers and have pitch meetings. But as far as expectations, I, I'm not sure exactly what I was what I was thinking it was going to be. But let me tell you, it, it was, it was uh, a pretty big experience. It was not that. <laughs> yeah, there was there was a lot more. Yeah. Let me just go with from what I heard. It seemed like it was a lot about designer to publisher, even though part of me was like, there has to be more to it than that. And there was there was a lot more to it than that. And that makes sense. A lot of I'm thinking about a lot of the stuff that we had maybe talked about before. And yeah, a lot of the way that a bunch of us from the game designers group approach conventions is approaching them as a designer with the intent to either improve our games by playtesting with people or to you know, see if any publisher is a good match for the games. And yeah, there is majority of people who attend conventions who are not game designers and the conventions are primarily for those people, I guess. But, uh, but yeah, a lot of the way that we probably were talking about it and thinking about it before is based on our efforts and interests as designers. So I can see how, how that could happen. The convention was definitely smaller than it has been in the past, even though it's still hmm. pretty big. I could, I mean, it's yeah. definitely smaller. I didn't know exactly the number of people, but as far as what I think upon people, to to some degree, I did expect there to be more people. And there was another designer I met that it was his first time too. And he he said he expected something different. I didn't didn't have a follow-up, but I feel like what he was expecting was more people and more, you know, after hours things and other things of that nature. Because that that was probably some of the things I was thinking because people talk about the after hours hang and sometimes it it was like the first night it was pretty sparse. That's true too. Yeah, the after hours seemed more sparse than it had been in the past. I think that some of it was because they were closing a lot of the convention center for cleaning overnight because because the um, COVID safety protocols. So I think the only place in the convention center that was open late where I saw people hanging out, especially designers in the unpub room, which was open till midnight. In the past, there's been people who would like play games at hotels and they would you know they would go super late much later than a midnight when um the convention center closed down and yeah just more more people out doing it so it's possible that they were non-designers playing games somewhere else that i just didn't find or didn't see but even from what i was aware of the after hours did seem slightly reduced from previous years it's pretty interesting that you say you you expected there to be kind of more people going around because i came in kind of on the flip side of that expecting there to be less just because of the whole the covid thing and all i i expected to kind of it to feel much more or much less crowded walking around especially going up to like random publisher booths and stuff like that and to me it didn't feel like that at all it, it felt pretty similar to kind of the 2019 crowds and lines and having to wait to talk to people and, and that sort of thing so i know they um they kind of squeezed down the space a little bit there's you know dead space on the outside that they had kind of walled off so that it was mm-hmm. just unused space to keep more of the booths closer together and more of the crowds closer together to 
just so they were, you didn't have to walk as far and there weren't as many empty booths between places. But even with that, yeah, there's there's a decent amount of traffic all the time. So a lot of what I saw was from a completely different angle because for the first time I was in there working a booth as an exhibitor. So I didn't have to wait in lines to get into the expo hall. I um, just came in as I pleased whenever I wanted to. I was working at the Talent Strikes booth for at least half of each day because they have I have a game coming out with them next year. Um, so I was over there just helping out. Oh, let me let me mention that uh, because I think I think that it is an interesting uh, segue, I guess, into something you had mentioned. You had mentioned like meeting with publishers for like pitching and stuff. And let me tell you a, a pitching experience that I had, which was different than other pitching experiences. So for me, PAX Unplugged this year, I did not have any games that I came into PAX Unplugged that were in a stage where I was trying to pitch them to other publishers. So I did not pitch any of my games to publishers. But what I did do when I was working the booth is I had to pitch games to people who were walking by who maybe caught their eye or maybe they had heard about it before. And so for for every game that I taught, I guess over the course of the time, there were like five or six different games that I was giving an overview of. And so through that experience, though, I, I refined my approach and found some stuff that really worked out as far as pitching goes. But these this is, of course, not pitching to publishers, but it's like pitching to game players. But I think that a lot of these ways of doing it would be useful going forward, even pitching to publishers. Because So the way that I did it, the way that it worked out pretty well for me is when someone came by and expressed any sort of interest, being it like they stood there for a second and like looked at something, I would just open up with a question, would you like an overview of one of these games? And if they said no, then that's it. Conversation ended. No more work on me. No more awkward stuff for them. Uh, but if they said, yeah, then I would say, okay. And I would give them, I would figure out like a 40 second overview and said, okay, the gist of it is at a high level, you're doing this. The main thing you're going to be doing in here is this. And you do that by doing this and this. And that's primarily where you're doing in this game. So I would have like that 30 to 40 second overview. And then from there, it gives the the person an opportunity to say, okay, thanks. Like if, if I said something that they clearly are no longer interested, then it gives them a way to get out of the conversation without having committed more than, you know, 45 seconds. But if they either ask a question or continue to stand there and like look interested, then I go into the next level of details, which might take like a minute or so beyond the 45 seconds I've already started with. And just kind of elaborating on some of the details and going into a few more of the like other things that you do. And then I would pause again to give them an opportunity to say, okay, thanks. Thanks for telling me the overview. All right, see you later. Or if they then continue to be interested. Then I had my third and final round of extra details, which would go into a lot of the persnickety details that people who are super interested would probably be curious about. Like, what happens if you go second? Or what happens in this weird scenario? Some of the less common but still interesting things that can happen. Um, but, But from that, though, because I spent so much time doing it, I was able to craft like a 40 second pitch of all these games that I thought was pretty good at conveying the gist of it. And I think that being able to identify the 40 second gist of your game is really useful, both because you would want to convince publishers of it, but eventually the publishers are going to be sitting there at their booth one day trying to sell it to other people. And you want them to know, you want the game to be something that they can pitch to game players 
kind of in that way too. So having that both as a way to convince publishers that it's interesting, but also for publishers to convince other people that it's interesting in short, medium, and long versions is something that was really useful for me because I was working in the booth. And I think it would also continue to be worthwhile for me just in talking about my games in general. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I think it even is useful in the aspect of like talking to publishers because there's definitely times where, you know, if you pitch to a publisher, they'll say, you know, that that's cool, but I'm not interested. What else you got? Mm-hmm. And so you have other things, you know, in your little portfolio, other sell sheets or whatever that you weren't intending to pitch to them. But since they're open to it, you got to do that kind of first 20 second summary. Here's these three games, 20 seconds of each. Which ones of these are you interested in? Then go into more detail. And so, yeah, definitely yeah. having that short, medium, long kind of different ways to describe your game, I think is, is definitely useful. And I think someone told me that years ago and I was like, yeah, whatever. But now I'm telling everybody else that. So look how much I've changed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I want to. Uh, I think we're all agreeing here, but um, as I've been uh, sending out pitch emails or uh, the unpub room required a, a summary of the game, and I'm realizing it's like I have a I have a summary of my game for my sell sheet, and then the summary for the unpub whatever app they were using required some summary, but it was like no more than like three sentences, you know, nothing where you would need a break. And I was like, I'm finding that my summary of the game just keeps getting smaller, and then I actually had. Uh, because of Twitter, I got a pitch meeting with a publisher. And when I finally met with that publisher, they're like, you you had that photo, but you also had that sentence. Because when the publisher sat down, I was like, yeah, you, you were interested from the photo of it. And they're like, yeah, but you also had that sentence. And I was surprised that that sentence did anything because the sentence was like, seven words because there's the typical stuff like mention the mechanics mention the theme mention how you win all that stuff it was like so truncated because of twitter that i was surprised that somehow that conveyed something useful to the publisher be like yeah let's let's talk later what were the seven words fly kites and ride dirt bikes with friends was that what it was i'm just making up stuff but that would be really interesting It's it was yeah well the the, the tweet it was trying to uh, promote like all of the games that I was gonna have at PAX and the uh. Unpub room and I had five games and so I was like I can either do multiple tweets or just kind of like cram it all in one and so that's what I did I tried to cram it all in one <laughs> wait it was seven words for five games seven oh, words no, no, per game the... probably because you have exactly yeah. exactly I've been formulating some of my pitches to focus more on yeah the the unique quirk i mean that's always been the thing but i feel like having done that more and more and more and more especially lately now my brain is quicker to say okay here's kind of the neat quirk about the game that makes this different from the other games so let me just say those things and the rest of it there's so much about a game that's important if you're going to play the game sure absolutely but if you're going to convince someone that the game is cool you don't even need to say it you know in games with cards the player can assume that somehow you obtain cards unless the method for obtaining cards is the thing that's cool about your game you can just say something like you use the cards to do the thing but how you obtain the cards it's only useful for when you're playing it that's not going to be the selling point so like don't tell them how you do that in your 30 second version of it don't tell them how you draft cards you're just like yeah you have cards and here's the cool thing that you do with the cards yeah so i found the tweets it said wild meadow building a meadow of flowers and then there's a photo i was like okay that's enough apparently. that was enough to reel them in <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that'll do it. Yeah, I mean, it's funny. Like, I, I've gotten into a habit of, on all my sell sheets, having, like, a tagline beneath the title where it's, uh, mm-hmm. like, 
five, six words or something like that, trying to absolutely condense down the core of the game and let you know right away if you want to know more or maybe you absolutely don't want to know more. Because there's also like, imagine some people getting together after a convention uh, and then they're talking about the games of the convention and then like they found a game that was cool but they forgot the name. How would they describe that cool game in a way where you'd be like, oh, I know what you're talking about. And that's also kind of the pitch. If I told you, you know, that game where you get interviewed for the person to figure out if you're a robot or a human. You know what game I'm talking about. Y'all saw that booth. It makes me think of Inhuman Conditions. Is that the game we're talking that's about? That's the game. There you go. Yeah. Look, okay. I, I just I didn't told you like, that's the pitch yeah, for the game just, right there. It there took like five seconds and you knew what it was. So like that sort of thing, that there's plenty more rules about the game, but like that's it. I just told you what the game's about. And if it's a game that you're interested in, then you're gonna say, Oh yeah, tell me more about that. Or if it's like, oh, interviewing games, that's not my thing. I don't care. What's your next game? Or whatever, you know. So yeah. Right. There you go. It worked. But but jumping back to one of the questions earlier about expectations, I'd say the expo hall for first timer was kind of madness. Uh, when I first got there, <laughs> I was like, all right, let's get oriented before I do anything. And I think I looped that floor like three or four times because I was I was like, all right, let's get acquainted. And I found myself just walking through hallways, not getting acquainted, but because of the flow of the people walking, I was like, yeah, I'm going to, I'm just going to go straight. I'm just going to pass this person. And then I would get through a row and I was like, wait, I was supposed to take things in. And uh, I guess I'm just going to go back through that hallway just uh give another shot and I, I did that many times just not taking it in and trying to find out where certain publishers were located i passed them many times did y'all spend most of your time in the um expo hall like, where'd y'all like for me of course most of my time was in the expo hall because i was working in a booth and then from there the second most was in the unpub space but i know like there's a bunch of other stuff that happens there's like open play spaces you know you can do non-designer stuff too you can just play and enjoy yourself if you want to but yeah what did y'all spend a lot of your time doing and where yeah i mean I, I was demoing merchants of magic at the at the rock manor booth for several hours on friday and saturday and then had afternoon blocks in the unpub room so i spent most of that time there um, uh, and then evenings and a lot of Sunday was mostly hanging out in the unpub room. But I, I did make sure to make it a point to try and walk through a good chunk of the expo hall and see things. Huh just kind of as a as a consumer and also kind of seeing what, what's new out there. For me, I tried to keep it a little bit half and half. My unpub time was Friday afternoon and Saturday morning. And so the first Friday was just kind of being acquainted with the convention area. Um, Friday was unpub, Saturday was unpub. And then after that, I thought, you know, let's try, try and take advantage of what this convention is offering besides the unpub portion. And so I got some demos I wouldn't say of some games, but, uh, you know, I tried to learn about a couple of games and then there was the first look area. I sat down to play a game that was, uh, looked super easy to jump into and I got a demo of that. And then after, you know, that afternoon, I went back to the pub area and hung out. And then Sunday was, Sunday was pretty chill. It was just kind of like kind of bouncing around, but looking into all the different parts of it, like such as I took advantage of the game library that they had. We, Mm. you know, Clarence and Julie and I played some games, uh, that afternoon and also jumping back to Saturday. Saturday, I, I got familiar with the terrain, such as they have a they had a whole room dedicated towards classic board games, board games that created with a 19 in their copyright. So anything like 20 years 
and before. And so it was, you know, I, I popped in there to see what, what people were playing. I don't remember what people were playing, but I do remember thinking I've played that before. Nice to see that still being played. And then there were a few things I've never seen before. So it was interesting that, you know, that that was still out there, still being played. And that was at the convention. I, like that was something I definitely was not expecting at, at the convention. It seemed more like the convention was all about the new hotness and publishers, you know, demoing and, and educating the public on the new games. So different conventions have different core focuses. And within PAX Unplugged, yeah, there's there's different areas. Like the Expo Hall is primarily about, yeah, what's the new hot stuff. But there's also significant portions of it just set aside for enjoying games, no matter if they're new or not, just fun times for everybody. And that's something that I, I like about PAX Unplugged because it's just for people who enjoy playing games, both new games and older games. Uh, you mentioned some of your uh, pitches, Mitch. Yeah, talk a little bit more about some of those. If you don't uh, want to talk about like specifically which publishers were interested, because some of that stuff is not news to share yet if it's too early, but anything that you feel like sharing? Sure. Well, I, I really only had the one pitch. Beforehand, I reached out to some publishers, and one publisher was kind of iffy, and uh, as far as like if they were going to be taking games, submissions, and by the time I got there, they were like, no, we're not going to be looking at, at new games, and I was totally fine. I was able to give a, a sell sheet of mine to a publisher that I emailed before but kind of lost lost touch so that was that wasn't really pitch exactly but it was pitch related so it was, but it was still nice to do those things get in front of people um, but as far as the actual pitch yeah I had a unpub table on Saturday morning and whenever I was emailing with the publisher that was interested in Wild Meadow that they just said I'll meet you at your table at the unpub room and so sat down played the game enjoyed it and then there you go yeah and then there was a, another like on Friday there was someone related to the same publisher that saw a one of my stand-ups not quite a not quite a sell sheet but one of the things you put in acrylic signs on the on your table and saw that and said oh this looks interesting may i have a sell sheet and i said are you a publisher he said i am and i'm with this publisher and i mean i I give a sell sheet to someone else but i want to know who i'm giving a sell sheet to and yeah you know then they told me why they were interested in the game and then they took the sell sheet and then said can you give me a reason why this game is uh unique and interesting and so i did it like a one minute summary of that and then um it happened to be with the same publisher that found me through twitter and so uh, the first half was geared towards one game and then uh, the second half of the pitch was geared towards the second game it was it's pretty cool yeah, that seems pretty like chill and just like easygoing pitches i'm sure that anytime you're trying to convince someone that your game is cool it's a little bit nerve-wracking but as far as like them coming to your unpub table and stuff that seems like a one of the more chill ways to do it yeah it didn't require too much of me I was already going to be there. I had my games uh, on the table. So it's not like I had to uh, track the person down, set up on a table real fast and go over the whole thing. I, I imagine that's how some people might pitch something. And that's not what happened. It was it was pretty chill and it worked out pretty nice. <laughs> and Clarence, yeah. you said you were demoing Merchants of Magic a lot of times. Did you also have pitches scheduled or pitches that just happened on the spot? I, I only had one kind of scheduled pitch. Kind of most of the designs I'm currently working on aren't quite ready for for pitching, I don't think. And the one that I, I think is the closest to ready, I don't think a ton of publishers would be interested in. Yeah, so I haven't really, didn't really have a lot of pitching going on. There was a couple publishers that I, I planned to kind of walk up on and see what was going on. 
but some of them were just seemed like they were too busy or the right people weren't there or I even heard from other designers that they weren't taking any kind of pitches or anything at this point so yeah this 2019 was my big pitching year not so much this year another thing that was kind of interesting was like back in 2019 I noticed that there was some publishers that were actually just walking around the unpub room scouting things out I didn't Mm -hmm. see that so much this year but yeah that's kind of related to like what you're saying Mitch about them coming to you even when you're not really actively trying to, to pitch stuff to people yeah I mean the game that that person saw the sell sheet in was a newer game and I was quite surprised to I guess get a reaction from it how did demoing Merchants of Magic same game multiple hours on multiple days how how does that go yeah I mean I think it was a lot like what you said starting off with 15 second here's this thing are you interested in it then maybe a little longer explanation and then like also just hey do you want to sit down and play this thing right now and that was pretty easy for merchants of magic since you could play it you know one to eight players i feel like that would probably be easier for certain games where like you you really kind of have to wait on certain player counts but yeah and so if I gotta, you can explain the rules like the entire rules enough to play if you can explain them quickly enough that really lends us up well to convention demos too yeah for sure so i i mean i think most of the people that i talked to i would say sat down and actually you know did a, a a demo playthrough of the game which kept me busy almost constantly so that was pretty exhausting but it was it was also really fun to see a, a bunch of people have their first impression of the final product which i hadn't been able to uh-huh. see before i know we've been talking a lot about the unpub space and just in case anyone's listening who's less familiar with unpub what unpub is is their organization that specifically is there for designers who have unpublished games to be able to have a table where they get playtesters to play their games and they are frequently set up in larger conventions they would get a big room in there and then people who play board games for fun can come in there and play test unfinished incomplete unpublished designs by designers and you know games that are at unpub tables vary wildly from being absolutely terrible and like beginning of the process and that are not good yet even though they might be good later two ones that are like they could be sold but the designer might be either just trying to tweak a couple different things to to iron out some balance issues you know or anywhere in between you never know what you're going to get, but you will always get a designer who's interested in your thoughts and opinions on playtesting their games. So yeah, I know that I spent a decent amount of time in there, and I, I had a table for um, Saturday p.m., and yeah, Mitch, you said you had two spots in there, and Clarence, you had one or two spots in there? Two, Friday and Saturday afternoon I was in there. So yeah, we've heard some of your stuff, Mitch, about the publishers coming up. How many different games did you have out there? I had five games on my table. Ooh. Not all of them got played, and that's okay. I had a game called Quilted, Wild Meadow, City Rats, Just Right, and Kites. Uh, Wild Meadow got played through the whole convention about five times, Quilted about twice, Just Right once. City Rats never got played, and Kites got played once. And I was a little bummed City Rats didn't get played only because the sell sheet got a a reaction from a variety of players. It was quite visceral. Some people would sit down to play Wild Meadow, and then they're like, oh, nice game about uh, laying down flower tiles. And then they look over and see City Rats and go, oh my god, gross, no. And then and while they're playing, another couple came by and looked at that. And the guy was like, Rats, I'm in. This looks amazing. <laughs> and it was it was one way or the other. And then um, 
another city rat story was as I'm playing one one of the other games, uh, this one person said, "Who's whose game is this? Whose game is this? City rats? Who who, who designed this? Because it was you know it was me, and then I'm next to another designer at one really like long table, and I said I, I did, and he said, "So where are you from? Where are you from?" And I was a little unsure of this question, how to answer. I said, I live in North Carolina. He looked very confused. And I said, before that, I lived in New Orleans. Still pretty confused. And he's like, oh, all right. All right. Because this game, this game says New York. I thought you were from New York. And I said, it was slightly inspired by, you know, Pizza Rat. He goes, okay, okay. Because Pizza Rat and me, we're buddies. Me and him, we're tight. And then he he goes on to tell me about how much he dives in dumpsters. And all all other sorts of things re- regarding you know what the game was about, which is stealing food from dumpsters and restaurants, and it's uh, he was he was all about it. But uh, I had people at the table, and you know he's like, "When's this game over?" I said, "In 20 minutes." And I thought he was going to come back. I so thought he was going to come back with that much passion and energy for it about yeah. about rat, but that didn't happen. So yeah. yeah, so those those are the games I had, and that's kind of a bit of a lesson, you know, is uh, you know if you bring lots of games, they're all going to get played. But I'm totally fine with that. I think it was a good turnout because also I think had I not brought some, I probably wouldn't have gotten some of the uh, feedback that I did on those that did get played. So now to be clear, you had five games, but you didn't have five games set up on your table, right? You have like five table sheets or something like that. Oh yeah, that's that's a great clarification. If that was the question that Mark was asking, no, uh, all my games can be like set up in a minute. So that I just had you know the five stand-ups and when people would would walk around to you know they're they're doing the perusing and i would ask them like hey do you want to play a game and, th- and then some people just straight up say no and then but some people like maybe what do you got and then i do like a quick like literally one minute pitch or less of the whole thing and then they're like yeah and then some some of the sell sheets were would just get people to sit down and otherwise i do a quick rundown and then they're like yeah let's just play some whatever whatever you want the thing you're describing about as people walk by yeah i maybe because i had been working at a booth most of the time i was like already ready to like be standing up and as people come by and say hey you want to play a game about astronauts I mean, you like astronauts, right? And then uh, sometimes they would say, yeah, let's do this. That'd be how I get people to play test my game. Some of the people would be like, nah, no thanks. That's it. Um, <laughs> I mean, they're interested. They're interested. If not, no, they'll find yeah. something else. What did you have at your table, Clarence? Uh, so I had Jazz Simulator, which is a, a ridiculous name for this crazy real-time game that's played with a metronome, and you can only do certain things on certain beats of the metronome. So I, I was trying to get that in front of more people. My main goal with that was to try and get it in front of more people that kind of don't have a musical background because I do and most of the people that have tried it so far do and for the most part that failed because people with a musical background are the ones that are attracted to it so like you know I was asking everybody so what's your kind of musical experience uh, as they sat down to play and, and like half of them were like oh I'm a music teacher and you know, all this like you know professional kind of uh, stuff yeah. where they interact with music every day. So that was one of the games I had. And then an- another one, <laughs> Letters from the Other Side, that's one where players are like on teams of psychic operatives trying to contact the spirit of a dead spy. And that one, I, uh, one thing that I wanted to do was try and get a big group test because you can play it with like big teams up to like 12 people or something like that but that never really happened because i realized you know it's it's usually small groups walking around the table and they kind of expect to sit down and start something fairly immediately so mm-hmm. uh i'm not sure really what you know any games that really want that that large group context that like party games and stuff like that how how successful yeah. they are at getting stuff played in in the unpub rooms because uh, that definitely didn't happen for me it was always like groups of two or 
or three, which the game still works at that count, but I, I you know, never got to try it at that large group size. That's an interesting point, because yeah, I was thinking about the people that swung by. The one time there was a group of maybe three or four that wanted to play a game all together. And other than that, I had a lot of you know groups of two. But yeah, not at PAX Unpug, but at previous times that I've had an Unpub table in, in another space, you know, there would be like a group and usually it would be like college age people coming in. There's like, you know, six or eight buddies. And they're like, hey. And they're kind of rowdy, the rowdy group. And they come in and they're like, yeah, do you have anything that can play all of us? But yeah, I didn't see any of that at PAX Unplugged. So I had brought two games that I wanted to test that were not finished. One of them was extremely early. So early that it was definitely not suited for you know regular game players to play it i would only play it with people who are used to playing terrible games which means other designers so that's what i brought out at an unpub after hours you know at like 9 30 or something it benefited a lot from playtesting with other designers but it would have been a complete waste of time to playtest with anybody who's not a designer because it it needed people who could very easily just kind of hand wave away and say okay yeah this doesn't work but that's fine we can ignore this for now so i brought that just hoping to get it played once and i did get it played once and that was what i needed for it but at my unpub table I had a two-player card game about astronauts, tethering astronauts together. And that's one that I've been working on a decent bit every few weeks, I guess, that I have a new version of it that's it's a little bit better and new things to try. So I came into PAX Unplugged. With that, a lot of it I knew was pretty good. And there were a handful of things that I was like, well, does this work? You know, let me try this and this and this and this. So just like small tweaks on a few of the the rules um, and so I was able to play it because it's a quick playing game that's small I was able to convince a lot of people as they were walking by I was like hey two players 15 minutes play the game and they they would gladly sit down for such a light and easy commitment um, with such a charming guy like me so yeah I, I was able to play it like six or seven or maybe even more than that times just like boom 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 and so each time I would like tweak some of the numbers like oh what's your starting hand size is it four is it five is it five there's some cards already on the table and so on. So I could just try different versions of that. I was able to identify some different scoring conditions I was trying to fine tune. But yeah, because it was quick, I could get so many games played that it it really started to be good. And I got a lot of favorable reactions and people were really interested in. So after Unpub, I feel like it's in a really good spot. So that's one of the, yeah, I came in not ready to pitch it really, but now I feel really good about it. That's how, that's how my Unpub went. And then I played a lot of other designers games after Dark. Yeah. Yeah. I should also say, you know, I said I didn't get any big uh, large group tests of letters from the other side in the unpub room. But, you know, I did meet up with Julio, Nate and some other designers Sunday night. You know, we were just kind of hanging around in a hotel lobby at that point because the convention center was closed. But there was enough of us there that I did finally get a large group test of like seven people right. or something like that. So I was very happy that I, I kind of stayed around longer this time around. 2019, I was in like just Friday to Sunday. And this time I tacked on an extra day on either uh -huh. end. So like Thursday to Monday morning, which allowed me to be able to do that. For that exact reason and also well, to yeah. adhere to the train schedule, I do the same thing. I come in on Thursday and leave on Monday. Yeah, there's, you know, all the pressures off at that point nobody's trying to cram and you know put yeah. together a last minute prototype or whatever all right well how about this uh let's combine a couple of things tips for other people attending pax unplugged and slash or must do things at pax unplugged things that if you go definitely do this and tips that you might suggest for other people who are attending who are asking for suggestions mitch i know that you had 
posted a couple of tips on Twitter, so maybe we can start with you. Sure. So these are, these these are tips for designers. Yeah. If a designer is listening and says, oh, you know what, I think I'll go to PAX Unplugged next year, what would you tell them? Either, yeah, tips or something that definitely when you're there, do this. So probably two, maybe three of those things I will repeat. They're worth like, you know, top three is number one, the line in the morning can be long. I'm not sure exactly what happened, but somehow uh, Saturday morning I was caught in a line to get in that took 20 minutes to get in. I'm not exactly sure how that worked because by the time I got in, there were definitely people in the unpub room, you know, in full swing. So either figure out how to like cut line or whatever to be in the right line or just acknowledge there could be a long line when you get there right in the morning. That's number one. Be mindful of that. Secondly is I would say the con is for different audiences. I guess the con is for publishers, meeting publishers. The con is for meeting other designers and the con is for players. And that last one is more than one player of my game, Playtester, asked for a website or a newsletter to be on. And that kind of threw me off just because I know why to have a website. You know, you put your sell sheets on, you have your promo, you have your pitch videos or rules or any of those other sorts of things. But I've always thought of those things would be more one-on-one communication requests. And to have a website is helpful. And it it was also from the point of view, once again, of the player, because they said, I want to know when this game comes out. So having that one central location for them to follow with ease was the big takeaway. Once again, a website or a newsletter. It's like, hey, I played this game at a convention at PAX. I liked it. Let me know when it comes out. And I've heard that sort of information before on podcasts, but that was always from publishers or designers of games that were going to kickstart their own game. Like they knew from the beginning, we're going to kickstart this once we have our list of of people big enough were going to kickstart it at the right time. I never had that intention, so I never planned for that. I mean, that's kind of a big ask. I'm not saying that's something for everyone, but if you think you can put that in your part of your preparation, I see no reason not to plan for that and not to include it. Clarence, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, my tips, well, you know, one, I kind of already said the stay an extra day or two. I thought that was that was definitely worthwhile to have more time to hang out, you know, network and play test stuff on one of those extra days. I think, you know, we already kind of talked about this a little bit with Mitch talking about bringing those table sheets, you know, and acrylic stands. I think those are really helpful to, you know, kind of help draw in players at your table because otherwise you just have that really small dry erase thing that Unpub gives you. So you can definitely have something more eye-catching than that. And bring sell sheets for everything that you have pitch ready, even if you're not actively pitching it so that you can be prepared if any publishers approach you. Uh, One thing I did this year that I was really glad I did was I made myself a name tag with masks and everything. You know, I was worried about people being able to recognize me even if I know them. Yeah, so I made myself a name tag and printed it out Myself, put a little picture of myself on there. And so if, you know, masks are still the thing next year, I'll probably use it again. And then one other thing I would say that I was glad I did was packing some good snacks because what I've done so far for PAX is I've usually skipped lunch because it's it's like a hassle to leave the convention. There's a bunch of stuff going on. It's in the middle of the unpub block from 10 to 2. And so I'll just have like trail mix and granola bars and that kind of stuff to just kind of tide me over until dinner rather than having to figure something else out. Yeah, the snacks is a good thing. I primarily eat snacks as my only foods at all conventions. 
intentions. But I'm on a diet thing anyway where I try to snack every two to three hours. So I kind of do that whether I'm at a convention or not. But that's uh, still a good tip for conventions. It might not be convenient to go out across the street somewhere to get something or the lines might be too long in the convention center. I ate at the cafeteria that they had in the convention hall every day. I found it very convenient and I never left the building. I don't think I even saw that. (laughs) It was above... It was basically above where the Unpub is. I did not go up there this time because the previous time they had it i had tried it but it was the lines were always super long and everything was full so mm-hmm. it was not convenient i mean i say it's not convenient but then like another option is walking out of the convention center going across the street toward the big super crowded market that's also got long lines maybe the only convenient thing is to just carry some food in your pocket but it's hard to carry a burrito around all day in your pocket without it starting to get pretty <laughs> weird so you know Take your battles. I want to I echo something Clarence was talking about, though, with the, the stand-ups. I, I would like to recommend to um, designers, if they do a stand-up sign at their table, to think about it. I know not everyone has like a graphic design background or an advertising background, but I'd like for them to think about it like a point of purchase or an out-of-home. The rule for out-of-home is like seven words only. In point of purchase, you can have a bit more text than that because people are standing there and they're not like in a car driving by in three seconds. But think about like very little amount of information, which is, you know, as we've been talking earlier in the podcast about that one minute, that 30 second, 10 second thing you can say, that's what you put on the the stand up. Because as people are walking by, if they don't know what they're looking for, that's the thing that's going to catch their eye, not a big block of text. Yeah. So that's, that's one thing I'd just like to uh, share. Some people have complimented my, my stand-ups, and that's that's what I say on that. The thing that I'll say is to always prioritize being cool and friendly with people. Because even, I don't think any designer gets in there and has like is playing the short game where it's like, I'm going to go into one convention ever in my life, sign all my games and get it published. I think that being a designer is kind of a long play. And even if you don't care about humans at all, the, the long play is to be friendly with people and get people to like and respect you and know that you're a decent person and, and trust you with stuff. But the better play is to actually like people and care about people and make friends. And then what you what happens at these conventions, you get to meet up with people that, you know, they're, they're your buddy, but you only talk to them like once or twice a year at conventions. But that's always fun. And you never know, maybe your buddy has met somebody since the last time you saw him who happens to work at a publishing company who now, they, oh yeah, I heard they were looking for this thing. It's like, oh, wait a second, that's something like what I'm working on. And those things happen. So a lot of it, things can be cool and groovy if you're buddies with people. And I think that being with buddies with people is fun anyway. So uh, it's a win-win, win-win across the board, prioritizing being friends with people. And that's what I would say is my advice. The other advice is, I think next time I'm gonna bring two pairs of shoes, um, wearing the same shoes for like 16 hours a day, and then like the next day the same thing, that's a bit much. I'm gonna bring at least two pairs of shoes next time. That was my mistake. I don't know why I didn't think about it before, but uh, There you go. That's the other advice. All right. I'll concur with that. Cool. Then we will wrap. All right. Mitch, if someone wants to ask you about dumpster diving with rats, how can they get up with you to ask you some of those questions? You got a Twitter? Sure. Yeah. You can follow me on Twitter at Mitch W. Games. Like like W is your last name and games, or games is your last name and W is your middle name. 
Mr. Games. Exactly. Mitch Games. Mitch, Mitch w Games. Games. Middle initial W. Clarence, if someone is not interested in music but wants to play your game about music, um, how can they get up with you to figure out about that? Uh, yeah, so I'm on Twitter as well at stoic hamster uh and that's that's probably the best way to reach me i guess i'm also on twitter at m mark 40 i don't know where this fits in maybe it's an after tag anyways okay i'd like to do a shout out to someone is that possible yeah do it i'd like to do a shout out to tody tran at tony makes games for the tweet he posted that said i want to have a post i want to make a twitter thread for designers to promote their games prior to packs all right if you want to discuss this episode or just talk to us in general, you can visit our website at www.gdofnc.com. We have a guild on Board Game Geek where you can post comments and we're interested in your thoughts or your feedback. We have a group Twitter account at GDofNC, which stands for the Game Designers of North Carolina. And yeah, if you want to reach out to any of us, we would be glad to hear from you. That does it for this episode and we will catch you later whenever we see you bye